Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat, for this time that you've given us to gather together and worship as one people. I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your voice heard, your word received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, we thank you for breathing new life into us and for allowing us to experience the truth of your salvation and Messiah Yeshua. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. So this week we read uh, from Parsha Re'eh, which is Deuteronomy eleven twenty six through sixteen seventeen. Re'eh means to see and is taken from the first line of the Parsha, which in Hebrew, as we read during our Torah service, says, anochi notin lifnechem hayom uchlala. From Deuteronomy eleven twenty six 26 uh, through 29, uh, that first line in English says, So I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. And it continues on with verse 27. The blessing, if you listen to the mitzvot, to the commandments of Adonai your God, that I am commanding you today. But the curse, if you do not listen to the mitzvot of Adonai your God, but turn from the way I am commanding you today to go after other gods you have not known. Now, when Adonai your God brings you into the land you are going to possess, you are to set the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. And as we move further into uh, Devarim and to Deuteronomy, we'll get to the blessings and curses where God prescribes exactly how to do that in a literal sense, where half of the tribes stood on Mount Gerizim, half the tribes on Mount Ebal once they crossed into the Promised Land, and the blessings are spoken from one mountain and the curses are spoken from the other. And uh, interestingly enough, if you go to Israel today, right dead center in the valley in the middle of uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, or Mount Gerizim, what's called today in Hebrew, Harbrachar, or the Mount of Blessings. Uh, right in between the two in the valley there is uh, what's known today uh, as a Palestinian city known as Nablus, but is known in Hebrew and throughout Scripture as Shechem, which is uh, the very place that Jacob and his sons resided. It's also the location of Joseph's tomb. Uh, so we see the surrounding of the people, the beginnings of the people of God, if you would, uh, the, the nation of Israel through Jacob's household, uh, developing right there in the middle of the Mount of Blessing and Curse. And then they come back to that same area to proclaim the blessings and curses from those two mountains. This beginning of Parsha Re'eh is directly connected to the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy 27 through 30. We see something very interesting take place with the Hebrew at the beginning of this Parsha, however. Uh, we see the word Re'eh, which is what the Parsha gets its name from. The word see is a singular word, whereas Lifanechem, or you, is plural. So a singular, lifenechem, you, plural, as in you, like you guys, right? Uh, or y'all, as it's said around here. Uh, <laughs> if, you're a fan of, if you're a fan of my cousin Vinny, use guys. Um, each, person, each person is to personally see that the blessing and the curse will affect the entire community of Israel. This, valley is, uh, this value is called Erovult, uh, which is a, a mutual responsibility and the idea of caring for the welfare of one's fellow, uh, one's fellow Jew is expressed in the phrase Kol Yisrael, Erovim uh, Zeh Bezeh, all Israel is responsible for one another. 
Uh, and then we look at Leviticus uh, 19, 17. You are not to hate your brother in your heart. Instead, you are to firmly rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. And so the idea here is, is although re'e is singular, if nechem is plural, the idea is that we each are being called to see that we follow through his word, with his word. But there's this corporate uh, responsibility to keep each other in check, this corporate responsibility to confess our sins one to another and so on and so forth. There's a corporate responsibility, a corporate uh, or mutual responsibility to each other rather than just thinking that it's each man for himself and waiting to see what happens. Another important concept here and ultimately what sets up, up everything our Jewish world is focused on during these seven weeks of consolation and leading up to the Yamim Noraim or the days of awe, which is Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, is the reality of the freedom of choice. In Mishneh Torah, uh, particularly laws of repentance, 5, 1 through 3, it says, Freedom of choice has been granted to every man. If he desires to turn toward a good path and be righteous, the ability to do so is in his hands. And if he desires to turn toward evil uh, and be wicked, the ability to do so is also in his hands. This concept is a fundamental principle and a pillar of the Torah and its commandments as it is written in Deuteronomy 30, 15. See, I've set before you life and good and death and evil. And see, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. For, where God, uh, for were God to decree that a person be righteous or wicked, or if there were to exist something in the very essence of a person's nature which would compel him toward a specific path, a specific conviction, a specific character trait, or a specific deed, how could God command us through the prophets, do this and do not do this? What place would the entire Torah have and by what measure of justice would God punish the wicked and reward the righteous? So we notice that as we look, as Mishneh Torah said there, as we look at this idea of, uh, uh, of this freedom of choice, as I said before, A and Lifnechim, the singular and plural, the idea of mutual responsibility, we see here the same concept flowing through that God has in fact given us a freedom of choice, and we're going to talk in great depth on this as we move forward. God has given us a freedom of choice. He has not created us as robots. He's not created us so that he can manipulate how we're going to respond or what we're going to do, but instead he has created us because he has chosen us, and likewise he has given us the choice to choose him or not. This Torah Parsha also contains the promise of establishing Jerusalem as the city Adonai chose to place his name, a warning against false prophets, a reminder of the Kashrut laws of Leviticus 11, the Shemitah year, or the seventh year, the, the sabbatical year, and the Shalosh Regalim, the pilgrimage feasts of Passover, uh, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Now, as we have established over the past few weeks, we are currently focusing primarily on the Haftorah Parshot uh, through the seven weeks of consolation, also known as the seven weeks of Isaiah. And this idea of freedom of choice is at the very core of the prophecies spoken by the prophet Isaiah, or as I like to call it when dealing with my children, choice and consequence. God has put before us choice and consequence. And that consequence can be negative or positive based off of the choice that we make being negative or positive. We have been given free will, a freedom of choice. Serve Adonai and only Adonai faithfully and serve the way or serve the ways of this world. But we can't have it both. The choice is ours 
And there are positive and negative consequences based on our given choices made. For Israel, we made the choice over and over and over again to walk contrary to the Torah, to walk contrary to Adonai. We made the choice over and over and over again to serve the gods of the people around us, gods made by man's hand, which were not even gods at all. And in fact, the very same gods of the land that God told us to begin with not to fall prey to because they are not really gods and he's ridding the Canaanites and the others out of the land because of the fact that they refuse him and serve the idols that they've created. And with those choices, there were consequences to ultimately ensue. The consequences Isaiah prophesies of is the captivity of the northern kingdom by Assyria and the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, by Babylon. However, in the midst of the doom and gloom found all over the book of Isaiah, we also find glimpses of hope we see Isaiah constantly reminding Israel if they simply make teshuvah, if they simply return to Adonai in repentance, then he will forgive our sins and restore us. But as history now shows, uh, we never fully repent, we never fully return, and ultimately the prophecies of destruction do, in fact, come about. Yet even in the prophecies of destruction are found promises of restoration and renewal. Promises that despite our proclivities to abandon God, He will never leave us nor forsake us. And this is at the core of what we read in the seven messages of Isaiah. The promise of renewal and restoration. The promise of return. And ultimately, the promise of true redemption, true restoration, true salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Isaiah 54.10, just before the beginning of this Parsha, Isaiah 54.10 says, uh, through, uh, Though the mountains depart and the hills be shaken, my love will not, will not depart from you, nor will my covenant of peace be shaken, says Adonai, who has compassion on you. And then we pick up with verse 11, which is the beginning of our Haftorah Parsha this week. Uh, Isaiah 54, verse 11 says, Afflicted one, storm-tossed, unconsoled, behold, I set your stones in antimony, lay your foundations with sapphire, make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children will be taught by Adonai. Your children will have great shalom. These words are so powerful and so vital to the Jewish people year after year during these seven weeks of consolation, these seven weeks of mourning because of the events of Tisha B'Av, the events of the ninth of Av, in which both the first and second temple were destroyed because of our sins and our rejection of the covenant faithfulness to God, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, among countless other atrocities that we've spoken of over the past couple of weeks that have occurred throughout history to the Jewish people on the same exact day on this reality of destruction is prophesied in earlier parts of Isaiah. Uh, it should, should Israel not make teshuvah, and ultimately this destruction does in fact come around. Yet here lies God's promise of restoration, his promise to rebuild and reestablish Jerusalem and the Beit Hamikdash or the Holy Temple. But if you pay close attention to the words, you'll notice that this isn't speaking of the second temple. It's not even speaking of some future third temple which will be built here on earth. No. In fact, this is speaking specifically of the temple and the Alam Haba and the world that is to come, what we would call the heavenly temple. Notice that the ornate beauty of the description of the city of Jerusalem, what we see is the new Jerusalem later on, and the temple being rebuilt. Notice that Adonai is saying he will lay its foundations and build it. Verse 11, 
Afflicted one, storm-tossed, unconsoled, behold, I set your stones and antimony. I lay your foundations with sapphires, make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. He's not talking about a, a, a new Jerusalem, a Jerusalem and a temple that's built yet again by human hands, although that will occur at some point when the temple will be rebuilt. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the Elam Haba, the world that is to come. He's talking about the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, and the new temple which will descend upon the earth this is not just a promise of restoration of israel and the jewish people as we see with the return of the captives to jerusalem and the rebuilding of the walls during the days of ezra and nehemiah this isn't speaking of the promised restoration of jerusalem as has been experienced since 1948 and 1967 no those are but foreshadowings of still a greater heavenly restoration this is realized in verse 13 all your children will be taught by Adonai. Your children will have great shalom. Isaiah is speaking of some future generation of Israel who would not only experience renewal and restoration, but they would experience an ushering in of an unprecedented era of shalom, of peace. Israel will no longer be subjected to tyrant rulers. Israel will no longer be subjected to human rulers at all. They will, they will have no, more, no need for fear because they will be protected by Adonai, our Melech Gadol, our great king. We read all about this new Jerusalem in Revelation 21, beginning with verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the, new, the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of, the, the, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I also heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is among men, and he shall tabernacle among them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them and be their God. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Nor shall there be mourning or crying or pain any longer, for the former things have passed away. And the one seated upon the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Then he said, Write for, write for these words are trustworthy and true. I don't know about you, but I long for the days where there will be no more pain, no more anguish, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more uh, disregard for humanity or human life, no more rejection of the truth of Adonai, but instead that all will know who he is and every knee will bow and every tongue proclaim that Yeshua is Lord. Amen. Verse 9 through 21 speak of the magnitude, still Revelation 21, speak of the magnitude of the beauty of the new Jerusalem. The language Revelation uses in describing the city mimics that of Isaiah 54, 11, and 12, but much more amplified. Revelation 21 also calls the city the bride, the wife of the lamb, meaning that it isn't just a city made of stones and pillars of walls, doors, and gates, but it is a city made up of the body of Messiah, the bride of Messiah, those who have clung to the truth of the salvation of Messiah Yeshua. This means that the city is made up of you and I, not made up of stones and pillars that can collapse. And the reality is that the ultimate message of Isaiah is, as we said time and time again, a message of teshuva, of repentance, of returning back to the Lord. The goal of the message of Isaiah was not to strike fear in the heart of Israel so that they serve God reluctantly out of fear of punishment, but rather that they return to him in faithfulness and in love, that they cherish relationship with him 
and him alone. That they put off the ways of the nations around them and cleave solely to the ways of Adonai, to his Torah, to his word. Yet we continually struggled in this area. Even with the ministry of Isaiah and so many other prophets like him, we could never quite figure out how to get our heads out of our butts and serve God faithfully. God used men to preach his word with Israel. Men like Moses who taught us and wrote down for us the Torah. Men like Joshua who showed us how to walk in the Torah. Men like Isaiah and Jeremiah who taught us the need to return back to the Lord and to return back to Torah. Men like Ezra and Nehemiah who taught us how to renew a love for Torah, a word, love for the word of God. Men like Yeshua's Tamadim, his disciples who have taught us how to live through Torah etched upon our very hearts but the beauty of Isaiah 54 13 is that we will no longer be taught by man but rather in this new Jerusalem all men will be taught by God and we will finally find shalom as Messianic Jewish believers we can cleave to the idea of Jeremiah 31 and the new covenant being written on our hearts but if we read Jeremiah 31, 30 through 33, we will realize that this promise goes way beyond Messiah Yeshua residing in our hearts, but it is a promise reiterating the new Jerusalem promise of Isaiah and, join, uh, and joins with Isaiah's foreshadowing of the new Jerusalem spoken of in Revelation 21. Verse 30 of Jeremiah 31, Behold, days are coming. It is a declaration of Adonai when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, it is a declaration of Adonai. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. It is a declaration of Adonai. I will put my Torah within them. Yes, I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will, they, will each teach his neighbor or each his brother saying, No, Adonai, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, it is a declaration of Adonai. For I will forgive their iniquity, their sin I will remember no more. And understand that this, this promise from Jeremiah 31 has a here and now truth, but it's also got a prophetic truth for the Olam Haba, for the world that is to come, because we recognize that there is truth in the fact that through the blood atonement of Messiah, through the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, that His covenant, His word has in fact been etched upon our hearts so that we can live his word out from the inside outwardly rather than solely on the outside while the inside is still dark and nasty. But there's also a future hope because until the day comes in which we see these words become reality, no longer will each teach his neighbor or each his brother saying, no Adonai, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Until that is fulfilled in its fullness, we understand that there's still more to come that there's still a future to that promise. So there is a here and now promise and uh, a truth to the reality of his word being etched, his covenant being etched on our heart, but there is also still a future hope in the promise that awaits us in the Elam Haba when we will be taught by God himself rather than by man. And those of you who get tired of hearing me will appreciate that day when it comes. Here's the key to this promise, though. This promise of the new covenant is a matter of choice. Just like we said with the beginning of the Torah Parsha, God isn't going to force his salvation upon us. He desires for us to choose to serve him wholeheartedly. He desires for us to choose to be faithful to him. He desires for us to choose to repent and make teshuvah. He desires for us to choose the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua for our salvation. 
He has given us the freedom of choice to find freedom in Him or to continue to be bound in bondage to sin. But ultimately, the choice is and has always been ours. Adonai chose each and every one of us before He ever spoke the first word of creation into existence, and He again chose each and every one of us when He offered His his one and only Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, for the cleansing of our sins. And He's left the choice yet again in our hands from here. Isaiah 55, verse 1. This is the tell end of our Haftorah Parsha this week. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? You eat what is good and delight yourself... Sorry, back up. I skipped an entire line of that verse. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the trustworthy loyalty of David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, uh, you will summon a nation you do not know, and a nation that did not know you will run to you. Because of Adonai, your God, and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Our Haftorah Parsha continues in carrying the theme of the imagery of the New Jerusalem. Keep in mind that as Revelation 21-22 reveals at the center of New Jerusalem, there is no temple as we think of it in terms of the temple that stood in Jerusalem, but instead Messiah himself as that temple. Verse 22, I saw no temple in her, for its temple is Adonai Elohei Oat and the Lamb. In the New Jerusalem imagery of Isaiah 54 and 55, we see this promise of Maim Chaim, of living waters, of waters that will never run dry. We know these Maim Chaim flow from Yeshua, and we see Yeshua allude to the verse, uh, to the very idea in John chapter 4 as he interacts with the Samaritan woman at the well. Verse 13 of John 4 says, Yeshua replied to her, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty. The water that I give will become a fountain of water within him, springing up to eternal life. And again in John 7, as Yeshua speaks up on uh, Hoshana Rabbah at Sukkot in Jerusalem, verse 37 of John 7, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Yeshua uh, stood up and cried out loudly, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Ruach, the Spirit, Uh, whom those who trusted in him were going to receive, for the Ruach was not yet given, since Yeshua was not yet glorified. Here in Isaiah 55, the Lord is speaking to the Jewish people who will soon be suffering great calamity because of our sins. Israel is facing the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, and with that, Isaiah tells them in earlier chapters that they will be facing famine and drought as well. Isaiah is speaking to them in the physical about a spiritual reality, about a spiritual promise. He is reminding us that even though we may find ourselves suffering in the physical, that there is a far greater spiritual promise awaiting us if we simply make teshuvah, if we simply repent and return to the Lord. 
We know that the scripture makes a connection uh, of the word of God and Yeshua, that word made flesh, as the Lechem Chaim, the bread of life. And likewise, the Ruach HaKodesh uh, as the Maim Chaim, as the living waters or the waters of life. Isaiah carries this analogy on by uh, carries this analogy on by asking why do we spend time, money, effort, resources on things that really are not sustenance at all? Why are we wasting so much time and energy on things that will never satisfy us, that will never fulfill us? Why are we seeking constant physical satisfaction when we are spiritual beings? But if you pay attention, Isaiah's reminder of the living waters and the bread of life are not a new idea. Nor is he, as we pointed out with Yeshua, the last to say it. We see a similar train of thought through the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy 26 to 30. As Moses tells Israel, everything that will happen to them if they forsake their covenant without an eye. But the key to all of this, as we said with the beginning of this Torah, Parsha, Parsha Re'eh, everything comes down to a choice, a personal choice to serve God or to walk away from him. We all have a choice. We've all been given the same exact choice. Moses relays this boldly to Israel in Parsha Re'eh at Deuteronomy eleven twenty six through 28. He says, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. This blessing, if you listen to the mitzvot of Adonai, your God, that I am commanding you today. But the curse, if you do not listen to the mitzvot of Adonai, your God. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 and 16. See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. What I am commanding you today is to love Adonai, your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his mitzvot, his statutes and ordinances. Then you will live and multiply, and Adonai your God will bless you in the land you are going in to possess. And again, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 and 20. I call the heavens and the earth to witness about you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants may live by loving Adonai your God, listening to his voice and clinging to him. For he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell in the land that Adonai swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Isaiah 55, 1-5 reminds us of this same reality with the water and bread of life. The choice is the same. God sets before us life and death and his desire, his greatest desire is that we choose life. As a matter of fact, he commands us in Deuteronomy 30 to choose life. His desire for us to choose life is so great that despite all of our failures, all of our rejection of him and his ways, he has still provided a means of salvation, a means for renewal, renewal and restoration of life through his one and only son, Messiah Yeshua. How great is our God. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, Therefore there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua, for the law of the Spirit of life and Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what was impossible for the Torah, since it was weakened on account of the flesh, God has done, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Ruach, to the Spirit. 
The cry of the heart of God is still the same today, 2,000 years after Yeshua's sacrifice, as it was some 1,500 years before when, when Moses spoke those very words to Israel before they crossed the Jordan River to take possession of the promised land. Again, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call the heavens and the earth to witness about you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants may live by loving Adonai your God, listening to his voice and clinging to him. For he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell on the land that Adonai swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. The promise remains true for our children and our children's children. But the promise is even greater than we could ever imagine because the promise goes beyond the Jewish people. The promise is that through the Jewish people, the nations would be blessed. Through the Jewish people, salvation would be available to all nations. Isaiah 55, 4 and 5 again. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will summon a nation you do not know, and a nation that did not know you will run to you because of Adonai, your God, and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Remember how at the beginning of this message I talked about the divine, divinely intentional use of the singular a and the plural lifnechem, as uh, that it's a reminder that we have an individual choice to make, but that that individual choice will affect the community as a whole as well. The idea of mutual responsibility. Well, here's the kicker: this is true in our choice of salvation as well. If we choose to walk in the blessings of salvation and the restoration of salvation, our lives will be a blessing to those around us, both Jew and Gentile alike. The Jewish people were called to be a light to the nations. The promise of salvation was to the Jewish people first and through the Jewish people to the nations as Paul talks about in Romans. The promise made to Abraham was that through his seed, Yeshua HaMashiach, the entire world would be blessed. So our choice to receive salvation and to walk in covenant relationship with Adonai isn't solely about our own eternal standing, but it's also about the eternal life and death of those around us. The choice of blessing and life or of curse and death is our choice to make on an individual basis, but there are, in fact, communal ramifications as well. As we prepare to close, I want to go ahead and ask our worship team to make their way back up to the Bema. As a parent, I'm a huge fan of the concept of choice and consequence. And raising my children, uh, we have regular conversations about the ramifications of our choices and decisions. If they get hurt, uh, assuming it isn't a, uh, a, a detrimental injury, one of the first things I ask is always, were you doing something you knew you weren't supposed to? When they make a choice to break a rule, I remind them that they had a choice and that those choices have consequences. I'm going to pick on my dad for a moment, mainly because he's not here and I can, um, but I'm going to pick on my dad for a moment. He tells a story of how when he was a teenager, his family was getting ready to go to synagogue on Shabbat, and he didn't want to go that particular day. Normally, the entire family went together, but that particular day, he just wasn't filling it. So he talked his dad into letting him stay home and sleep. When the rest of the family came home later that day, they were all joyfully talking about their lunch at the local Chinese restaurant, which was one of my dad's favorite places to eat. 
But this was something that didn't normally happen. They usually just came home and ate lunch there. When my dad complains, uh, complained that he didn't get to go to the Chinese restaurant, his dad reminded him that he made a choice. And there are often consequences to our choices. My dad never missed synagogue again on the off chance that he might miss out on the Chinese restaurant. And my understanding is that they also never went to the Chinese restaurant after synagogue again either. But just in case, he was going to be more conscious of his choice. The Bible as a whole makes it clear that our relationship, or lack thereof without an eye, is in our hands. It's in our control. He is very much active and involved with his creation, but he doesn't force us to be faithful to him. He desires us to walk in freedom, to experience his salvation, to be enveloped in his love, but the choice is ours. He created humanity knowing that we would choose sin, knowing that we would make a choice to receive negative consequence, to be kicked out of the garden. Yet, despite that, he created us anyways. And he didn't just create us. He created us so that he could give his one and only son for yours and my salvation, for our redemption, for our restoration. He gave us Yeshua and he has reiterated the choice of life and death before us. And the cry of his heart is still the same. Choose life. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What is your choice going to be today? tomorrow and every day moving forward because it is in fact a daily choice it is not something that is a once and done this walk this life of faithfulness to the lord faithfulness to messiah faithfulness in the body of messiah is a life that we have to choose to live day in and day out just like a good marriage is a choice to love each other day in and day out no matter what deuteronomy eleven twenty six says again See, I am setting before you when? Today, a blessing and a curse. We can read that passage, that single verse, every single day. And the Lord will be saying the same exact thing every single day. I am setting before you not yesterday and not tomorrow. I am setting before you today, blessing and curse. Choice and consequence. The reality is still the same, but the ramifications are eternal. For us and for those God has placed us among so that they may see his love in our lives. And his heart's cry is still the same. Choose life. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but it is never too late to choose life. Life in Messiah. He has chosen you. He has given, you, given everything for you and for you alone. All you have to do is cry out for him and for his salvation. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, for your love which is ever renewed in our presence. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you have given your one and only son that we may have eternal life in your midst and that you have still placed the choice in our hands and that you're still calling us to make the choice of life, to put aside the death and bondage to sin, to put aside all the consequence that goes with it, and to walk faithfully in the redemption of the blood of the Lamb so that we may be able to stand boldly 
and proudly among those of the bride and Messiah that make up the new Jerusalem, surrounding the new temple, the heavenly temple that is your divine presence dwelling in the midst of your people. Father, we thank you that you continue to reiterate this message over and over and over throughout your word, year after year after year, and that the, the, the message, the call to choose life never gets old. Father, I ask for anyone and everyone in this room who may be going through struggles right now, that, Father, we will understand that all we have to do is to call out to you. Father, anyone in this room, anyone watching online who has yet to receive salvation and Messiah Yeshua, Father, I want you to uh, uh, reach into their hearts and their lives, divinely reveal yourself to them in a miraculous way, that they may see the truth of your salvation and that they may be a part of those who choose life and blessing today. Father, we thank you that you call us daily to choose you. And that we can trust firmly and faithfully that you have chosen us for all eternity. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen.